Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. In the second hour of Around the House today, we're going to talk about two different subjects. First, my tips for designing that outdoor living space, that outdoor kitchen. How do you want to live? Do you have a covered deck? Do you want to just have a place out of the sun or out of the rain to enjoy yourself? And then later on in the show, we'll talk with Jared Griffo from Electric Generators Direct on trying to figure out backup power. Maybe it's hurricane season, maybe it's tornado season. Maybe you live on the West Coast where we've got wildfires and the power could be off for days. Either one, we've got a great show lined up for you to cover outdoor living and backup power generation. You don't want to miss this one. We got that and so much more on today's episode. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Welcome back to hour number two today. We've got a great show coming up. If you're listening to us on the radio, thanks for tuning in. And uh, don't worry if you missed part of the show. If you're a radio listener, you can always catch the podcast found on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for all of you tuning in today. Well, today in the second hour of the show, we're going to talk about my top 10 tips to design an outdoor living space. Now, it's something that I've been working on for a while at my house, and so I thought, you know, hey, what not a great topic now that we've come into uh, summertime, we're past Memorial Day weekend, and it's time to start thinking about spending some time outdoors. So let's, I broke this up into segments kind of here so we can break it off into pieces so we're not jumping all around today. When it comes to outdoor living spaces, I can tell you what, planning is the most important part of all this because you need to really think about how you're going to live in it so you can make sure and put the pieces in because there's some definite steps that have to happen here. Now, for instance, if you're like, okay, I am going to build an outdoor kitchen. Let's talk about this. You need to create, before you even start anything, you need to create a complete plan for your space and visualize that completed project. Now, this is a key right here because there are so many things that you need to put in early on that if you didn't, you're going to go, oh, man. So let's say you build your deck and you go to put your outdoor kitchen in and go, oh, wow, I didn't build this deck to be able to hold the extra couple thousand pounds of materials that I'm putting in for the outdoor kitchen. So now I have to go rebuild the deck. So you want to start this plan from start to finish. So first off, when you're doing an outdoor kitchen, you plan out the kitchen, plan out the appliances, the features, the countertops, the materials, and all that. And then you'll have an idea what that stuff weighs. You know, for instance, on mine, I put four extra beams in underneath my outdoor kitchen to take the load because I had slab countertops going on there. If you were doing concrete or tile or something like that, you don't want the typical spongy deck. 
You need to build this heavy duty like you would a house, not just an outdoor deck. So you really need to plan for that in that. And making sure you have enough power and utilities. You know, many outdoor kitchens, I say, you know, probably five circuits, which means five different home runs back to your power. You know, refrigeration, countertop outlets, ventilation, lighting. You know, you could have a starter circuit for uh, uh, a charcoal barbecue or a, uh, you know, a feeder or electronics for a pellet grill. There's so many different things out there that you need to plan for. You know, you have televisions, you have all these different things that are going on out there. You need to make sure that you have enough of that there. So that's really what it is. How about natural gas? Are you going to put a gas cooktop in there? If you've got natural gas there, why not put natural gas in and not have to worry about filling up a propane tank? So those are things that you really want to consider. And ventilation. If you have a roof over this, if you're going to be barbecuing or you're putting in a patio cover, you need a range hood. I would put a ventilation hood in so you don't smoke out all your gas sitting there and you're something solid. So think about all of those needs before you build it so you can get that stuff there. And then what materials are you using for the cabinetry and countertops? One of my least favorite materials for countertops are stainless steel. It scratches easy, and it's really hot in full sun. You just get absolutely smoked with that stuff. If you put a pat of butter on a dish, that thing can be melted in no time. You don't need another cooking surface there. So that's the key right there. So thinking about how that all goes together is a key right there. Making sure that uh, you've got that planned out for the outdoor kitchen. So think about that. Think about what the flooring material is. You are going to be dropping grease in many cases if you're barbecuing. Unless you're doing plant-based burgers, there's going to be some kind of fats there. So if you've got a, uh, a decking material, you want to make sure that that's one of the, like, the PVC-capped ones or something that's sealed. Or it's a tile surface that can get grease on it. So think about those kind of things and how you're going to manage that. And seating, lighting, all those things. Now, let's get over here into deck and patio cover. Now, this is this is the first thing here. Make sure you have the ability to build and place it where you want to. Make sure all utilities and elements are being followed or easements are being followed and the locations are known. Like, you don't want to build your deck over the septic tank lid, right? Unless, like a project that I saw with Dr. Dex, he actually did a radius design in the middle and the center medallion came out of the radius and that's where the septic tank lid was. So that's one way to do that. But having access to all this stuff, you don't want to be bearing, you know, shutoff valves, sprinkler systems, whatever, when you do this deck. So make sure you've got that. And of course, make sure that you call before you dig, before you start digging footings and those kind of things. Make sure that uh, you're not building over an easement. There are some neighborhoods that say you can't build so far between that and the fence. Those are all things that should be checked out before you dive into the project. Now, that's really important. Next thing is, as part of the planning. Okay, what do I need? I want you to plan 
for the weather conditions for your home? Do you need shade? Do you need a space to hide from the rain like I do? Do you have heavy sun that comes from one direction that you're trying to do? Prevailing winds that are a problem. How about mosquitoes, pests, wasps, bats? How about severe storms like thunderstorms, hurricanes, tornadoes? Those are all going to affect how you plan to build this. And then third of all, check to see if to make sure that uh, of this, that you've got uh, the right building permits or if you need them or all, you know, in, in Oregon here, they have a thing that uh, if you're attached into the side of the house, uh, a 200 square foot patio cover, you get away with, you can build that without pulling a permit. But if I got 202 square feet, I need a permit. Permits are not a bad thing. They're just going to force you to build it to make sure that it's strong enough to make and work in your area. Now, if you've got hurricanes or if you've got severe thunderstorms that tend to pop up in your area or heavy winds, you want to build it to be able to withstand the lift because, you know, patio covers can act like a wing. And if you get a 40, 50, 60 mile an hour wind, do you have that thing attached to the ground strong enough that it's going to hold up to that? The last thing you need to do is that thing lifting up and getting pulled off and ripped off and put in your neighbor's yard and ripped half the side of the house out while doing it. So making sure that these things are all dialed in and properly fastened and fastened into the ground, especially if you're like a frost area where if maybe on your East Coast or the North where uh, frost heave is a thing, sometimes those footings need to be three, four, five feet deep. That way they don't lift that and the frost heaves it up out of the ground. So making sure that you've got it the right distance And no matter what, don't be building this stuff on those little corner patio blocks. Those aren't really worth it for what you're trying to do here. Around the house, we'll be right back after these important messages. Let's keep talking about how to build that outdoor living space. And Satchel from Steel Panther, and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G, and you should too. Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Hey, if you're one of our podcast listeners, we appreciate you, as well as all of you on the radio network out there with Talk Media Network. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, we're going to have some exclusive content available coming up here in the near future. Look uh, for our announcement here about uh, some of our new stuff coming up that's going to be really exciting and uh, to give you guys some special access. You'll be able to find that over at Around the House online.com for more information there. Now we've been talking about my top 10 tips and probably then some as well on designing an outdoor living space. And we've been talking about that deck, you know, and or patio cover. Now I want you to, 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 again, like we talked about with the outdoor kitchen, I want you to design this from start to finish. So you have the ability with it to grow. Maybe you've designed out that, that uh, covered patio area 
and you've got it all finished off and you're like, man, I wish I would have put a place so I could put a ceiling fan up there or an overhead electric heater for the wintertime. While you have it open, there's a time to wire that stuff up and get it roughed in. So making sure that you've got everything dialed in and planned for is key to this. Making sure that you're uh, not building it where it's reducing access into the backyard. Sometimes, you know, you've got a power pole along the back fence and your house is the planned access. The last thing you want to do is build a deck across an area where your utility company goes, hey, uh, I was supposed to get to that pole down the side of your house. Now you're going to be tearing that down because you you built across the easement. So making sure that you've got that covered is key. But making sure you've designed this with the right lighting, gutters, hanging lights, fans, any of that is key, making sure that's dialed in. Now let's talk about your materials for a minute because that's a big one here as well. You know, if you're doing a clear plastic or one of the acrylic roof panels, that can be cool. But do you have big trees up there where you're going to be washing that every three or four weeks to do it? I couldn't do one of those in my area because I have big fir trees that leak sap and everything else. It's going to look like hell after a bit. So I can't use that type of thing. So you really have to think about what you're going to do on that roof surface to keep that from looking bad. So really make sure that you've got the right materials up there for it to look good and hold up. So that's the key there. Now, when you're talking about materials, composite deck, if you're going to build a composite deck, many old wooden decks had 16 or 24 inch on center when they're built with solid two by type material, like two by six outdoor wood decking, for instance. The problem is, is that a lot of the composites like to have a 12 to 16 inch on center joist pattern. So you might have to rebuild that to put composite if you're going to reuse part or all of that deck framing. So make sure you've got the right surface there for that is key. That's all part of that planning thing. And that way, you know, you've got the strength to hold it. Like we're talking about the outdoor kitchen. If you're going to put an outdoor kitchen on that deck one day, build up the extra beams and stringers and make sure that that'll handle the extra couple thousand pounds for that or a hot tub or whatever. Maybe you're going to look at steel like we talked about a few weeks ago in the show. So those are all things to really take a peek at. Now, if you're going to do composite decking, find the right composite decking for your project. They are not all equal. Do you have blazing hot sun? If so, you might want to look at that moisture shield stuff that reflects the heat. I know Trex is uh, just coming out with their version of that that they came up with to reflect the heat, but you need something to re composite decks are a warm surface. So if you're going to the dark deck that really can suck up the heat. So make sure that you've got the right surface. So you and your pets can walk on it. And that's the key right there, as well as that covered patio up there, making sure that that's going to be protecting the areas that you want. Make sure to understand what driving rain does, what the, where the sun's going and those kind of things. So you're, you know, leaning it the right way or you're building it at the right height. Sometimes if you build it too tall, you don't get the shade that you think that you would get because, well, it's getting underneath and uh, giving you a lot less shade than you thought, especially in the late afternoon sun. So those are two keys right there. Now, when you're designing this out, I really want you to work on a lighting plan. Now, a lighting plan is key for this because you want to have equal coverage. If you've got a bar area, are you going to have some hanging lights on that? Are you going to have a pendant? You're going to have a chandelier, a fan. Do you want something that's dim so you could have a nice 
you know, quiet evening out? Or do you want a bright where you've got the game on and people are doing stuff outside and they want to be able to read a book or something like that? So understand the lighting, having a good lighting plan for so there's no shadows is a really key to this to make sure it looks like money. And then on top of that, that deck lighting, the stairs, the, the railings, the little dots coming out of the floor. These are all things that really take a structure and elevate it to the next level. And those are those little details that can really make this look like a spectacular project. So if you're not thinking about any of those lightings that you would have around your deck on the stairs and that kind of stuff, it's key. And then audiovisual, what are you doing for a television? Where's your speakers going to go? How are your guests or friends or you going to enjoy it? Do you want it where you're out there barbecuing all day and you want to be able to see it? Is it something that you want your guests sitting at the uh, raised bar area? It's your tiki bar to be able to watch? Or do you want it where people outside can be watching the, the game outside out there in the fall or the summertime and really enjoy watching your favorite sports thing? So really designing around those needs right there, as well as what are you going to be drinking? We talked about this a little bit, but not in the outdoor kitchen as much, but I'm thinking more about the entertaining side. Do you have coolers out there where you always got, oh, my friends all drink beer and we always have a, a cooler. Awesome. But what if you had just a outdoor refrigerator you could grab from? Or do you want to have a finished place that you can put the cooler so it looks like a cooler. Maybe you want it to feel like you're out camping and you want to be able to lift the lid and knock the ice off and, and have that experience. Maybe you could think about building that in someplace that looks really cool, that gives it a, a home, but still works. Maybe you just need an ice maker outside. But then also thinking about how it's going to win winter. You know, if you're in the South where rarely does it freeze, it's not that big a deal. But if you're maybe, you know, in the northern states, can that wine fridge go outside and be frozen? Can the undercounter refrigerator be frozen? Maybe you're going to put a sink in. How are you dealing with that? Are you going to be able to drain that sink and be able to use it and close it up and not freeze the faucet up? Or are you going to winterize it all? Thinking these things through, and outdoor faucets are tough, guys, and that's the first one. It can be done, but usually you're having to cut through a foundation wall. You're having to come up with something that needs to be uh, insulated, something that needs to be able to be blown out like a RV type system where you can clean it out or winterize the traps. These are all things that you need to be able to make sure that you can handle because the last thing you need to do is be busting up a faucet and freezing it when it gets below 30 degrees outside. And that's where you're going to run into a ton of problems. All right, we're going to come back. We'll be talking about furniture and some other little details just as soon as Around the House returns. This is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking Around the House with Eric G. Raise your Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. We've been talking today about designing that outdoor patio space. 
and making it sure that, uh, well, it performs like you want to. Coming up a little bit later here in the show, uh, later on in this segment, we're going to start talking about uh, getting ready for summertime, especially with summer storms and wildfires. We'll uh, jump into a discussion here with uh, Jared Griffo from uh, Power Generators Direct about backup power for your home. But let's uh, wrap up this conversation here, of course, about outdoor living spaces and making sure that we've got that dialed in. Now, one of the things that I want you to talk, want to talk about is outdoor furniture. And depending on whether it's hitting the sun or it has to be covered, this is a great conversation. And making sure that you've got a fabric that's going to be durable. You know, over the last 10 years or so, they've come out with a few of the different fabrics like Kuluru, Sombrella, all these different companies out there have these different fabrics that are now very durable to the sunlight. Now, things you need to be careful with is make sure that they can handle like tree sap and some of the other things that can happen outside, you know, bug droppings, those kind of things. Any of those things can be damaging to your your outdoor furniture. So making sure that you're taking care of it, you're keeping it clean. And when in doubt, buy a nice pool cover for when that storm comes through that you can just cover it up and protect it from the uh, bad outdoor elements. And it'll keep it cleaner along the way. You know, I'm not a big fan of walking into the home improvement store and getting them, but places like Costco and some of these other companies, even online companies have great selections of maybe just slightly higher quality outdoor furniture that can last you a number of years. I think I'm on year five or six on my outdoor couch. It's getting to be a little more worse for wear because we've used it. It's been out in the sun for in the weather for a number of years. And so it's had a lot of great life and one day we'll upgrade it. But uh, I think it's got another year or two out of it before we decide to do something different with it. But uh, something nice and durable and uh, something that really just holds up. It might be something that we actually have somebody build some covers for and have something custom made to match what we want to do. Or we'll just go out and buy a new one. That's the beauty of it. And that'll end off to uh, one of the kids or friends for their outdoor patio. Well, one of the things here, too, that I want to just kind of wrap up is making sure that whatever you're doing outside fits the style of your home. And it's really up to you, but I've seen some kind of things that maybe don't work well. Maybe you've got that Southern, you know, classic mansion style or plantation looking home, or you've got a colonial house. Sorry, guys, as much as I like the tiki bar, sometimes that doesn't fit out back. So really making sure that this stuff is going to dial in and, and, and hold up and be true to what the value is that you're putting in. I, I'd like it to really try to match the style of your home a little bit. You can have some fun with it, but making sure that it's not that out of place where people walk back and go, oh, wow, never would have thought somebody would have done that here. That's not always a good thing. And these are all investments. You can spend, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 really quickly outside. And those are one of the things that I really want you to make sure that you protect your investment, that it's going to fit. One little trick that I like to do with my decking, let's say you've got a, a medium tone hardwood floor and you've got a sliding or a patio door, double door going outside. If you match that to the floor of your kitchen or dining room or wherever that's coming out of, and you make it look that way. It makes it look like your living space is twice as big as what it is because your eye goes, oh, wow, that just keeps going. 
So that's a nice little trick of matching that flooring. It looks really good when you can do that because it'll expand out and make the place look bigger. Little trick of the eye there, guys, that can make it look really good. And especially with the colors, too, if you can kind of extend that outside a little bit, it will, if you've got a lot of glass, it will look like that living space continues on and on and on. Now that wraps up my thoughts on designing that outdoor living space. Now that we're coming into, uh, well, summertime here, and it doesn't matter if you're on the on the East Coast where we're starting to cruise into hurricane season or out on the West Coast out here where we really start running into fire season. We are seeing here, especially in my neck of the woods out on the West Coast, where more and more utility companies are shutting down power because of potential fires. They will see it, and we've seen the lawsuits in the news where uh, maybe a line came down, it's caused a wildfire, and uh, these things are getting blamed to the utility companies, whether it was their fault or not. It's not my debate here, but my point is, is that we are going to see more and more of the wind called, you know, wind rolling blackouts on the West Coast. And this will also happen out in the more forested areas of the East Coast as well. This will come your way. And uh, once it happens here, it's expanding and we're already seeing it in the Pacific Northwest now. So when we see those dry winds, we're going to see that. So coming up with backup power is a key, especially if it's 80, 90, 100 degrees and we've got a, a 40 mile an hour wind, it can make for a miserable situation in your house. And if you've got a couple days of wind, that could be a big problem. So let's go out here and talk with Jared Griffo from Electric Generator Direct, Power Equipment Direct, about keeping that power on. It doesn't matter if it's summertime or if we're in the middle of winter and we've got power outages, backup power is something really important to have around your house. Today, we got Jared Griffo, Electric Generators Direct. Welcome to Around the House. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Man, you are my go-to guy for backup <laughs> power, you know, and we've talked before, but I really want to kind of address it because it's one of those things that now that we're moving more and more into electricity, it's even more important. Definitely. Yeah, uh, we've been seeing the trend, you know, more people needing generators, you know, all across the country, you know, whether it's, you know, their grid is bad or they're in, you know, places where, you know, uh, uh, hurricanes, storms, you know, anything like that. Uh, yeah, people need power and, and definitely generators are the way to go right now. Yeah, here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we have our wind storms and stuff and uh, nice storms in the wintertime. And then when it comes into summertime we're starting to see a little bit more of the uh power companies trying to protect the environment and the grid and turn shutting off power when we get into those red flag warning times and uh, those can last for days so i think backup power is even more important now than it ever has been before especially when we're starting to talk about maybe charging a car or two just trying to get to the office definitely um i mean the biggest issues that we're seeing is people want to go uh solar which that's fine solar is great but solar is very limited um, and it's not just the sunlight. A lot of it is the, the products themselves can't put out enough power to charge your electric vehicle. You know, it's not going to happen yeah. overnight either because, you know, you're not getting solar overnight. So, you know, generators, backup generators, whether it's, you know, a little small portable unit or, you know, the home standbys are definitely going to be uh, what people are going to want uh, for situations like that. So, you know, the, the big two kind of differences I see out there is there's your portable one that you've got your transfer switch that you, you know, roll the thing out of the shed of the garage and plug it in and hit the switches and turn it on. 
And then there's your full on, you know, I don't want to think about it. Standby. How do you, how do you figure out which one you want to go with as a consumer? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things, uh, things to consider on these. Um, number one is cost, right? Uh, the, the cost of a standby generator can be, you know, 10 plus thousand dollars for the generator and the installation and things like that. Mm-hmm. When I could get a portable generator for maybe a couple grand and have it hooked to my home. So that's definitely something to weigh as far as options, but there are limitations to the, the portables. Like, you know, if I'm in a hot area where I need air conditioning, portables just aren't going to cut it. Right. That, yeah. and that in, you know, if I'm living in Florida, air conditioning is a necessity, not a, not a want, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so th- that's something to consider with those, uh, you know, and, and then sizing them properly for the application uh, that that's key. Uh, that that's the number one thing. So yeah. make sure you follow around the house on social media. Just look for around the house show. Now we'll be back after these important messages with Jared Griffo from electric generators direct and power equipment direct after these important messages. Don't go around the house show now let's continue our conversation with jared griffo from electric generators direct yeah that is key and you know the one nice thing that uh, i will say and this is one of the things that i'm always concerned about is you know that that portable generator i have is a big one it's not easy for my wife to grab and drag it outside if i'm not home and then you know okay i think she's comfortable doing it even though she's never had to plug it in and start it and do that stuff you know it's one of those things that you kind of have to train your household how to run this thing if you're gone Mm -hmm. the backup you know the full backup system it's automatic isn't it yeah yeah i mean i i hate to always say it but you know i use florida as an example because they're they're a hot spot right they get hurricanes they get storms they get everything down there and it's it's hot and uh, you know (laughs) they they need generators down there so i do reference them a lot but also the thing i mean there's a lot of older folks down there, you know, sure. my, my dad is retired down there. You know, that's, that's where mm-hmm. you just go. Right. It's nice. But, you know, physically, you know, am I going to want my 80 year old grandma or somebody down there trying to pull start a generator, you know, trying to rip that cord to, to get something, you know, going to, to back up their house? No, you know, it's no. just, it's, it's not what you want. So the standbys definitely excel in that for, you know, whether you just want to be kind of lazy and just let it do its thing or you know you actually just physically can't do it uh they're definitely a good option so yeah we had a couple one of the one of the issues i had just from a personal experience i've got a great generator it's does the job but it's it's gasoline powered it's not Mm -hmm. a tri-fuel or anything like that so we had a huge ice storm took down trees everywhere took down power lines everything else so i didn't have power for five days my problem was I went through 32 gallons of unleaded to keep the house powered. I don't keep 32 uh, gallons of gasoline around the house for obvious reasons. So that was a that was a constant battle. 
Well, one of the things we're seeing um, in the market is a shift with portables, actually, that I actually am starting to sell uh, generators that are not only gasoline, but they're tri-fuel or dual mm-hmm. fuel where you get you know, gasoline and, uh, and propane or gasoline, propane and natural gas. Mm-hmm. Now, something to consider with those, you, you'll see a lot of the ratings out there where it'll say, you know, this generator is 8,000 watts but that's on gasoline, there's a duration for the other fuels because they just don't have the same amount of energy. So I could have an 8,000 watt portable unit on gasoline, and then I use it with natural gas and I'm only getting like 5,000 watts out of it. <laughs> so it's a pretty big duration you know, from what it's actually putting out. But as far as a convenience goes, if I have natural gas running to my home already, I have infinite fuel uh, you know, and natural gas tends to be a little lesser expensive too. you know, 32 gallons of, of gasoline nowadays and 32 gallons of, you know, natural gas uh, definitely are different in cost. <laughs> yeah. And I will say too, the environmental damage on that gasoline compared to natural gas from that point of view is, is that, man, my neighborhood with all the generators that were running, it smelled <laughs> like it was everybody firing up their their lawnmowers for the first time in the spring all i smelt with carbon monoxide fuel and exhaust outside just from all of those gasoline units running away 24 7 and it was uh not the best air quality (laughs) yeah yeah that's definitely something to consider and the other part of it is noise i mean you you, during a power outage everybody's pulls out their portable generators and it's like everybody's running their lawnmower and it's like day and night and you're like is going on how am i going to get some sleep that's another reason that these standby generators kind of uh, outshine the the portables because i'm getting you know something that's you know they rate them in decibels and you know my customers sure. I, I try to say oh this is 68 decibels which to most people means nothing right yes but <laughs> so i always rate it the 60 decibels is you and i having a conversation right yeah. 68 decibels is about what an air conditioner running outside is right yep. so if i have a generator running i sleep when my air conditioner is running so why couldn't i sleep through that <laughs> whereas yeah. you get into the portables and it's now it's like you know somebody's on a riding lawnmower outside <laughs> i can't really yeah. sleep with that <laughs> so. well and, and to be honest that's a good analogy because a lot of those bigger engines are what goes on a riding lawnmower yeah. so i mean it's the exact same thing yeah yeah and so it's interesting so i know when people come over to your website for instance they can really search and take a look um is it something if they're looking at a standby should they be also having a conversation with an electrician at the same time to make sure that that's getting sized up correctly or is that something that you guys can help them with uh we can definitely get the people going i mean we have uh, sizing calculators where you know they can just kind of type in you know what they want hit the checklist and it'll kind of spit out a general idea right um, it is always still good to have an electrician, you know, come out, do a load calculation because there's a lot of code involved also, you know, especially with the, the standby generators, you know, some of the manufacturers will say, this is where it needs to be. This is how it should be this and that, but local code can over always supersede that. Right. As long yeah. as it's more safe, not less safe than the manufacturer. Um, but the load calculation is key. I mean, it, it, we want to make sure, I mean, we usually kind of oversize generators, kind of want to be about 20% larger than whatever your requirement is, just so you're not mm-hmm. pushing that generator 
be at a hundred percent all the time, right? I always equate it to, yeah. you know, if I'm driving down the highway, redlining my car, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it'll do it, but it's not going to last very long doing that. Whereas yeah. if I'm just kind of coasting along, doing my thing at, you know, lower RPMs, it's definitely going to last longer and, and be more fuel efficient also. So yeah, an electrician is key. Electricians are, are yeah. key in this, but they, you can definitely get going without having one up front. So. Perfect. You know, I'd be amiss. And I don't want to talk about brands, so we're not going to talk about which truck this is. But we've all seen the commercials and the people talking about how you can plug a truck into your house <laughs> and power your house. There's a little more to that, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah. So when we get into electricity and grounds and neutrals and all different fun stuff like that, um, what a lot of the people just don't realize is you can't just plug in something that has a lot of protection to it. So the newer vehicles are coming with onboard generators, the electric vehicles. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the working professional goes out, he's using this truck, he can plug into it and use it as a generator, which is fantastic. But because of that, there's OSHA regulation, right? Because I'm on a job site, OSHA is involved, and you don't want people getting electrocuted. So 100%. what they do is they cover everything with GFCI. So ground fault mm -hmm. interruption, it's so that you don't get yep. electri electrocuted. But what that does is it ties it into all of the outlets on the generator. So if I go to plug this into my house, what happens is it thinks that somebody's getting electrocuted. It's not completing the circuit and it'll trip breakers and things like that. Now what they have are um, what they call switched neutral transfer switches. And yep. what it does is instead of just switching from you know utility to generator, it's going to have a kind of a middle section where it's actually switching that neutral, which then doesn't cause it to trip breakers. Um, it's something to consider. I've actually just been, I've been getting calls just this week from a gentleman <laughs> trying to do that. He, he wanted to hook it up, you know, all to his home and make it work. And yeah, it, unfortunately there, there's a particular way of going about it. So if you do have one of those really dive into it, um, I actually have a, a, a video on YouTube kind of explaining uh, bonded and grounded neutrals and, and floating neutrals. And, and that's really floating much, neutrals, yeah, all those crazy yeah. things. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a little science to that. And if you get it wrong, it's going to be a head scratcher for you and be very frustrating. Definitely. <laughs> I'm no electrician, but I know enough to be dangerous. And yeah, it's it, I still scratch my head <laughs> on some of this. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty complex. Yeah. Well, well, Jared, if someone's out shopping for a generator, where do they best track you guys down at, man? Um, so they can either go to powerequipmentdirect.com or electricgeneratorsdirect.com. Um, those are the two sites that we operate through. Uh, and they can you have a call in. Uh, we've got plenty of people that can definitely help them get started and, you know, sizing properly. And, uh, you know, we're all actually factory trained on, on pretty much all of the product that we sell. Um, there's a few things new that are coming out, you know, a lot of the battery powered stuff that I've gone through. Some of the other people aren't, you know, as versed in yeah. it. Um, but as far as generators go, we definitely excel in that. Uh, that's why we, we try to be number one in, in the generator world. So no question. No question. <laughs> well, man, thanks for coming on today. And heck, if somebody calls in, they might even get you on the phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm taking calls all day long. So, yeah, call in if you want. You can ask for me. I'd be happy to help with anything that they need. So, there we go. Jared Griffo, Griffo Electric Generators Direct, Power Equipment Direct. Thanks for coming on today and giving us a little more education on generating that power. Thanks again, Eric. Appreciate it. 
I'm Eric G, and you've been listening to Around the House. Anywhere beyond the me Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand, I know where to go All over the radio with you Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out Millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's Millboard.com.